us here. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you decided to be with us today. Uh, we're honored that you chose to, uh, to worship with us today. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in just a moment as we jump into week three of this series called Man Code, about being a man in the 21st century. Before we do that, I need to give you an apology as your pastor. Uh, we, uh, Thursday, hosted a funeral here in the building for a real lifer, and afterwards we were able to host a dinner for the family, and, and uh, very honestly, looking back over the last season, we have not done a good job as a church in taking care of families when they're going through death with funerals and those kinds of things. And if your family has been one of those families or been connected to someone and you've been hurt by that and thought, wait, 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 my church is not taking, it's not loving me, I want to apologize. At the end of the day, uh, since I'm the, I'm the leader, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. And so uh, I, I just want to apologize to you. Please accept my forgiveness and our, 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 accept my apology and, and uh, our apology for that because we're entering a new season of ministry where we're going to do that. And we're going to make sure that we meet the needs of families when they're going through tremendous pain like that. In fact, a couple of the ladies, a picture of a couple of the ladies that were here on Thursday, uh, Bonnie and Linda, and the cake. I may or may not have eaten two slices. You'll never know. Um, but they there, and that's the way you can serve. If you want to serve families when we have those kinds of things and help put a dinner together and, and meet a really tremendous need for a family that's grieving, uh, we'd love it if you could do that. So that's just, I just want to tell you that, say, uh, ask for your forgiveness, and then Let's move forward into a new season. How about that? Good? Okay? Yeah, good. Thanks. So, uh, we always uh, examine a passage of Scripture together. I would invite you to stand with me, if you would. And the Scripture will be on the screen. I'll read it aloud. This is what we're looking at through this series from the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll read it aloud. Here we go. Love never fails. For where there are prophecies, they will cease. And Paul's referring back to what he talked about in verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, here's our goal for this series, is we're trying to articulate what it means to be a man in the 21st century. We're a little confused as a culture. We don't really have any agreed-on definitions of what a man is and is not, and so we're kind of taking an opportunity in, the, in a cultural moment that we have to say, what if we understood what a man was like and we help give people, men, tools to become uh, a certain kind of a man, and not just a, any kind of a man, but a man of God, a different kind of man, a man who lives by a different set of values and a different set of uh, a different code and is a brave man who's willing to, to live the way God intends for men to live. And uh, here's what I know is that even if you don't have some way you've thought about what uh, it's like to be a man, you're passing on the kind of man that you are even if you don't intend to do it. You're, people are picking it up uh, from being around you. Now, as it's been interesting as we've gone through this series some of the ladies, uh, we've tried not to leave you behind because you try to live with us and you try to understand us. And I'll give you another apology. I'm sorry. Uh, we're confusing. We're frustrating. And some, it's been interesting, the comments from ladies, particularly, I've had a couple of ladies say, I'm really looking forward to when you talk about what it means to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay? <laughs> It'd be kind of like saying, tell us your firsthand experience about being raised in the Amazon jungles. I, mean, I don't know. I don't have a clue, right? Uh, that sermon's probably not going to happen. I'm just to tell you, don't hold your breath if you're waiting for that one. Um, so let's, let's just review a little bit, shall we? Uh, first week, we talked about the fact that God made men to be wild, uh, the right kind of wild. There's a wrong kind of wild. The wrong kind of wild, some men think is great, and they're rebellious, and they think it's awesome. And I'll promise you, listen, the right kind of wild is an incredible amount of fun for a little bit, but it's this, the kind of fun that happens when you're on the roller coaster, and the moment when the roller coaster leaves the roller coaster tracks, and it's all fun and games until impact, right? The wrong kind of wild will take you there. It's fun for a little bit. There's always an impact. Uh, the right kind of wild is as a man that uh, is not domesticated, but is able to do everything that God's asked them to do. They're not, see, some people think the idea of a man is that you're, especially in church, is that you fold your hands, and you're quiet, and you're nice, and you don't talk loudly. And you're not a man, right? So, but God intends for men to be wild. In fact, uh, we talk, showed a picture of a wolf, if you were here the first week, and the, painted the picture of what a wolf did, uh, the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone did. If you want, uh, you can, we'll put a picture on our Facebook page. If you want to change your profile picture, I changed my profile picture on Facebook to that wolf because uh, I want to be that kind of man. You can do that this week if you want to be a part of it. Uh, then the second week, we talked about adopting a different code, a, a better code for uh, you as a man, a different way to think about yourself and a different way to be. It's like a computer. If you have a bad, if you have bad code in the computer, it creates problems and eventually the computer stops working. You've got to have the best kind of code. And so what we've been saying through the series is that God's man code is what we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and that the code that God has, the best kind of code you can live into, is love. And so Paul says it like this, love never fails. Just read that with me, Rinja. Love never fails. In other words, the success rate of love is 100%. Whenever you are a success as a man, it will always be because you have loved. Or when you are learning to love, you are learning to be a success as a man. Now, listen, I look at myself, and I look at the times that I've failed. And the times that I've failed are always when I have failed to love, as defined in here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the measuring stick for a man is this kind of a love and so we uh printed up some man cards if you didn't get one we got more coming next week we're out uh but you can come back next week and get one there's a, a picture of it online you can get that as well but what we're encouraging you to do is take it put it on your mirror where you shave brush your teeth and read this new man code based on first corinthians 13 every week every day uh for six months and let's try and live into this as a new kind of a man code so here's what i want you to do if you're a man, I want you to read this new man code with me. Now, the 9 o'clock service, it was like, you're not going to do that. You're going to do way better than the 9 o'clock. So men, uh, read it like men. Here we go. Men are patient. Men are kind. Men do not envy or boast. Men are not arrogant or rude. Men do not insist on their own way. Men are not irritable or resentful. Men do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Men bear all things. Men believe the best about all things. Men have hope for all things. And men endure all things. This is the code we're living into together. Now, here's what we're going to talk about today. It's uh, something, it's a trap that all men at one point or another fall into. Uh, we're going to talk about how to avoid the trap. And then we're going to talk about uh, a resource that every man needs to get beyond the trap. And here's what we're going to talk about is knowing who you are 
as a man. Now, I will tell you right out of the gate, if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a solid understanding of who you are as a man, you will suffer. There will be pain in your life. And the reality is, is that men across cultures suffer. There's, a, there's a, a, a pain that goes along with being a man that doesn't know who he is. Uh, there was a saying that was put on a bus in Ghana. Ghana is a country in West Africa that illustrates, this is just a, it's a global phenomenon. We'll put the quote on the screen. This is what it says. Man is suffering, but the woman doesn't know it. Now there's, there's huge reality to that. So without knowing who you are, you get swept up into this trap. It's a common trap for men, and the trap really is more like an avalanche than just a trap. Um, if you know how an avalanche works, an avalanche is uh, snow comes down and overtakes you, and what happens is you literally get locked up in the snow and the ice, and you can't move. You're immobilized by the avalanche. I've always kind of been fascinated by rock climbing and outdoor adventure kind of stuff since I was a teenager and done some of it myself. Not a lot, not, not real dangerous stuff, but some. And there's a guy who has been considered by many people the best climber in the world. His name's Alex Lowe. Um, here's a picture of Alex on a, on a cliff. Can you see that right there? Can you notice that there are no ropes going down to him? He's taking the rope up. Like this is the kind of, and see how high up he is right there? Um, he uh, was known to do between 400 and 1,000 push-ups a day to stay in shape. He'd do about 50 at a time, no matter where he was. One time he was in Antarctica climbing, with a, and he dug a pit in the snow, and he put a ski across the top of the pit, and he did pull-ups in a full-blown storm. This is the kind of person that he was. Uh, one time he was climbing an ice tower. If you know an ice tower, it's when a waterfall freezes. And when you do that, you have these things on your boots called crampons, which are these sharp spikes that you can kick into the ice. And then you carry with you these two really sharp ice axes with loops on them so you can hold on and you can dig into the ice and then you can climb up the ice that way. And uh, he slipped and fell about 40 feet in an, in an attempt to catch himself so he didn't die. Uh, as he was slicing with his very sharp axe, he sliced a part of his scalp the size of a pancake so that it was like a flap of skin. Well, he thought, oh, that's bad. And so he got down to the bottom. They got some duct tape, duct taped it there, put his hat back on, put their skis on, skied down the mountain. When he got to the bottom of the mountain, he saw a coffee shop. He's like, let's have a latte. So he got a latte, <laughs> and then they went to the ER. I mean, this is the tough kind of, of, of a man that Alex Lowe was. One time there was someone, he was in uh, Den at Mount Denali in Alaska. It's the highest mountain in North America, 19,000, 20,000 feet. People die on it every year. There was a, a band of climbers that were up at the top, and they were stuck, and they couldn't get down. Uh, he was known as lungs with legs. If you've ever been at altitude, you know when you get to 11,000, 12,000, it's just every step is laborious. And uh, he climbed all the way up to the top of Mount Denali with no oxygen, no supplemental oxygen, and put one of the guys on his back, who had hypothermia, and took him down the mountain. I mean, this is just the kind of guy that he was. Well, in the late 1990s, he was climbing a 26,000-foot peak in Nepal, where all of the highest mountains in the world are, Mount Everest, uh, K2, all of those mountains are there. And he's climbing, and an avalanche above where they were climbing, an ice shelf broke. Uh, he and another gentleman in his party went left, and the other guys in his party went right. The people in the party that went right missed the avalanche. They sidestepped it. Alex Lowe and his climbing partner were sucked into it and caught in the trap. Now, if you know anything about 
what happens at altitude like that. There's really no way to retrieve a body, and so they've never seen the body of Alex Lowe until not long ago the glacier shifted and someone came across the body there, and they've gone to retrieve the body of Alex Lowe. But he was caught in the trap. Now, this is, this is the trap that gets men, that, and, and I want to teach you today how to sidestep it but it's, it's in our attempt to try to get something good, we get twisted in the process. And here's, here's kind of what the trap looks like. It's what the, the ancient Greeks called the eulogos. Uh, we, we say it at a funeral, we call it a eulogy, which means good words. You have the good words that are said about you. The ancient Hebrews called it the barach, that you would be a person who is praised. Or you are of a person who has the blessing. I, in today's language, I would call it uh, the approval trap. And men get caught in it all the time. Now, before you say, well, that, that's not my issue, and you write this off and you say, that's not me, I, I want you to hear me out because I, I believe that every man wants to hear some version of this ancient uh, message that we'll come back to in a, in a minute. But we want to hear some voice, some person somewhere say to us something like, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. We all want to hear some version of that. Basically what that means is, you belong you're wanted, and you've done well. Uh, that, you want to hear that wherever you are, whether it's your dad or whether it's your boss or whether it's your buddies, whether it's just the guys. You want some version of that. So when we go to work, what we're looking for is someone to say to us when we start a new job, listen, you're one of us. We want you here, and we see that you're skilled and you do a good job. Well done. Many men are, long for that. They long to hear for that at work. And they work hard so they can hear some version of that said to them. Or many men will grow up in their homes and they want so badly to hear their father say, you belong to me. You don't belong to somebody else. I want you to know, son, you belong to me. And I like you. You're welcome in my home. And I am pleased with you. I know men who are grown men who are still to this day waiting to hear that from their father. And, they, and here's what happens. Men that are looking for this, because we look for this as men, we're, we're looking for this, and we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble and in all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of predicaments. And what we're really looking for when we're doing all of that is we're trying to hear some voice say that to us. Now, this is, this is the, the, the case around the world. There are all these different initiation rites that men around the world go through to hear some voice say some version of this. You could go to an island in the South Pacific, in Vanuatu, in the South Pacific, and in order to hear the voice say, you belong, uh, you're wanted here, you're, we're proud of you, what you do is you climb up this rickety uh, thing of sticks, and you wrap vines around your ankles, and you have to measure the distance from the top to the bottom, and then you jump, right? Sure hope that you measured the distance from the jump to the ground because the goal is that you would measure it so that when you kind of sort of bounce on the sort of elastic of the vine that you touch the ground. And if you're able to do that without measuring it six inches too long, sorry, uh, then they say to you, you belong, we want you, we're pleased with you, you're a man now. This is where bungee jumping actually comes from. Um, there's another uh, tribe in the Amazon, the, the Sater Mawe tribe. I don't know how you say that exactly. I think it means total knuckleheads because of what they do. <laughs> but what they do, we've got a picture of it right here. Uh, they, they, this glove right here, um, inside that glove uh, are bullet 
ants. Do you know what bullet ants are? Bullet ants on the pain scale have the most painful bite in the world, one of the most painful bites in the world. If you get stung by a bullet ant, you will literally shake and convulse for 24 hours and you'll be immobilized. So what they do is they go find a bunch of, wherever they get them, they find these bullet ants, they use some kind of sedative or smoke, and then they weave this little basket, little hand thing together with the stingers pointing in, and they say to a young boy, here's what you're going to do. If you want to belong, and you want us to want you, and you want us to say that you're a man and you're well done, you're going to stick your hand in this glove for 10 minutes, and you're not going to scream. I'm just going to tell you right now, I would be a woman in that tribe. I, I, that's like, I'm, 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 I'm done, sorry. What do the women do? I'll go do that. <laughs> but here's, here's what's similar across all cultures, is that men are not supposed to show pain. They're supposed to show strength. Now, here's the trap. Here's the avalanche. Here's how we get caught up in this, especially as American men. We are expected to operate from a position of strength, even if it's just posing. Most of us as men would have a really hard time admitting that often when we do the things that we do, we're, we're putting a show on for the world to see, but on the inside, we kind of feel like a scared little boy. And so what we do to avoid the trap, we think, is we invest ourselves in competing and winning. Now, this is, this is why men, much more so than women, are posers. And you can go anywhere. There's a, a, a group of men that get together around anything, and you'll see rising to the top kind of this expectation about what a man in that setting is supposed to be like. And you will see men posing to meet up to that standard, to measure up to that standard, so they can hear the, the group of men around them basically say some version of, you belong here, you're wanted, we're proud of you. I'll give you an example. Um, my kids have played uh, Little League Baseball, and when you go play Little League Baseball, uh, you go, and the dads are all there. And you'll see some dads, and you kind of look at them, and you go, that guy's probably not athletic, uh, and he probably doesn't really know what he's doing, but he thinks he's here because of his kid, and so he's here to have his kid do this. And that there's a stereotypical guy in Little League, what he wears, the hat he wears, the kind of pants he wears, the, you know, what, the kind of shirt he wears. And, and that's the guy that is the athlete that everybody kind of gets the idea that you're supposed to look sort of like that. And so over the course of uh, the season, you'll see more and more dads look like that person. And you'll see dads out there talking baseball that don't know even know baseball, don't even care about baseball because that's what you're supposed to do. You'll see dads spitting because that's what you're supposed to do, right? There's this set of expectations about what it means to be a guy, and every guy wants to live up to that. And so we pose. We do it all the time. I, I talked my wife into going with me one day to the, the gym, and I said, hey, just come. I mean, like, you don't come to the gym, work out with me, so just come and see wh wh what I do. And because I'm trying to, you know, I want to be fit when I'm 80 and have energy. And so she goes and she <laughs> sits in the, on the side, kind of watches the whole thing. She says, uh, she says, I, I don't understand why I'd want to be there. It's just a bunch of guys looking at themselves in a mirror. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's kind of true. Oh, ouch. This is why, this is why men try to find their identity through competition and winning. And here's, here's the result. Because we're, we're focusing on the outward appearance. We want people to speak well of us. We want to hear the good words over our life. And the result of that is that we suffer, and the woman doesn't know it. 
So this is why there are many men who are lonely. Because when you're, listen, when you're trying to win all the time, and because you think that's what's expected of you, it's really hard to be close to somebody. Because you're trying to beat them. This is why many men, uh, more than women, struggle with anger and why a man will cuss you out. The reason the man is cussing you out is not to show you how strong he is, it's to prove that he's not weak. You can't do that to me. I'm not weak. I'm not one of those guys. This is why uh, many men, when they struggle with this pain and they don't know what to do with this trap, they feel it. They don't have the words for it, maybe, but they feel it. Is This is the reason that some men are addicts, because they say, you know what? I just don't want to deal with the pain. I will drink, and it will numb the pain. So I don't have to feel this at all. And, and right here, this is where the avalanche overtakes us. And so what happens is over time, we become more interested in in the image of being a man, the outward appearance, than the substance of being a man. And we, we pretend. We pretend we know when we don't. And we make stuff up. You just ask a guy at lunch today, hey, what'd you think of that message today? And he'll, if he doesn't know or he feels uncomfortable that made him, he'll go, he'll, he'll, he'll bluster. He'll be like, oh, you know, right, right, right. he'll tell you some fact. We just do this all the time. We're posing. We're, we're stuck under the avalanche of needing approval and often we don't know how to get out. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul says in this, in this letter that he writes to the Corinthians. He says, the difference is the difference between being a child and being a man. And, and what he's saying here in these verses we read is that the child pretends, but the man can admit uh, Ron and LaVon Ward are part of our church with some real lifers, and they own a few horses, and they've let our seven-year-old daughter think that she owns one, and we let her think that she owns one, too. And so periodically we'll go out and see, the, see her horse, not really her horse. And uh, sometimes when we go out, we'll ride horses, and, and Corbin, our, at the time, was eight years old, and they have this pen, and he was on one, a really big horse, probably their biggest horse, and saddled up and, and going around the pen, so it's safe. Uh, well, someone had... Uh, one of the kids, I think, had left the gate open to the pen, and the horse wanted to go back to the pasture, saw the opening, and took off with our eight-year-old, who's never really been on a horse before. And we're yelling, pull the reins, pull the reins. He didn't even know what the reins are. He's like, ah! You can see the fear on his face, and their son thankfully came out just the right time and stopped the horse and grabbed him, and we got him off, and I said, son, are you, are you okay? At eight he had picked up that you, you don't let on that you're crying. And the tear was coming down his cheek. He's like, I'm fine. Right, what is, the child pretends. Paul says the man, though, the man admits. Because he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. How do children talk? They just say whatever comes in their brain. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. What do, what do, how do children think? They think only about themselves, and they don't really think about the consequences. Now, this is, there's nothing more male than this, to not think about the consequences of what we're going to do. Uh, I got some pictures here of men doing things that only men <laughs> would do because women don't do this stuff. Uh, here's a picture. You just kind of want to know the backstory, don't you? I mean, you're like, <laughs> what was he saying? Like, son, I'm going to stand over here, hit the target right here, don't hit me. I, I, I don't know what he's saying, but you'd want to know, right? Only a guy, a woman would be like, listen, honey, I'm going to stand over there while you shoot. Not a man. It'll be fine. Uh, here's another one right here. 
of some guys who've weighted down their thing that they are getting ready to plummet to their death. I'm sure that they're, right, uh, only guys would do this. No, it'll be fine. We'll just weight it down. It'll be no big deal. Here's another one right here. (laughs) Girls don't do this kind of stuff. They don't. That kid will never forget that moment in his entire life, will he? (laughs) Or here's another one. It's in another country, right? This is a man. Oh, it'll be fine. I'll just lean over a little bit. Not a problem. Not a problem. I got it. I got it, right? This is kind of us as men. This is kind of exactly what we do. We We don't always think about the consequences. Paul says that's when you're a child, that's what, how you think. Then Paul says, I, I didn't reason like a child. Well, how do, how do children reason? Well, they don't, children don't have the whole picture. Um, they don't have the perspective. Our job as adults is to give them perspective, and they don't have perspective. And so they, when they're reasoning, they're reasoning without the full understanding of something. And here's what Paul says. He says, when I became a man, I put those ways behind me. In other words, I discovered who I was. And when he knew who he was, he put behind him the ways that were all about the outward appearance, trying to earn approval. Now, here's the million-dollar question. How do you find out who you are? One of my favorite stories in the Bible uh, with regard to this is a famous story, David and Goliath. You probably know the story of David and Goliath. David was the youngest of his brothers, and his brothers were sent off to war. David stayed at home to take care of his father's flocks, and uh, the Philistines were battling the people of Israel, and they had their champion, Goliath, who was a very large man, who was the image of what a man is supposed to look like and be like, and how tough a man is supposed to be who doesn't show weakness. And every day they would fight a proxy war. This was a way to avoid bloodshed, and so they would pick a champion, and the champions would fight each other, and whoever won, they were the winner, and this side would uh, would willingly lay everything down and say, you can take all of our stuff. And so Goliath would come out every day, and he would taunt the people of Israel, and and they were scared. They they didn't have anyone as big as Goliath. They had no one, they thought, that was man enough to uh, fight Goliath until David is sent by his father to bring some supplies to his brother. He goes there. He sees this interchange. He thinks, what's going on? Why why are we so scared? We have God on our side. Why are we scared of this man? What's the deal? And and they try to talk him down like, no, no, you don't understand. That guy will kill you. And uh, they say, but if, if someone were to fight him, the king would give him uh, his daughter's hand in marriage and give him wealth and he wouldn't have to pay any taxes, but that wouldn't be you. And, and David thinks, this is just foolish. So he goes to the King Saul and he says, listen, I, I, when, whenever I was working with sheep and a lion or a cougar or, or, or a, a, an animal, a predator would come and try and take the sheep, I would stop and I would beat the animal off and sometimes kill it with my bare hands and, and God helped me then. God could help me with anything. I could go fight this man and they're looking at this little runt of a kid and they're like, you can't do that. So Saul says, okay, well, here, come here. And he gives him his armor. It's too big for him. Um, there's a whole lesson inside of that. But he, and, and David realizes that he's trying at that moment to play the image of the man. You wear the armor, and you look like this. And so people say that about you. And David says, no, no, no. I'm going to take the weapons that God's given me. And, and he's learned to take a sling and a stone. And over the hours and hours and hours he's been outdoors, he's really accurate with this sling and this stone. So he goes out. Uh, Goliath, like every day, gets up, walks out, taunts, uh, pushes all the buttons of all the men to try and get him to fight. 
They're too scared to fight. And David walks out, and Goliath says, Are you, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? I and mean, this is trash talking 101 in the Bible. What am I, a dog you come at me with sticks? I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. And David says, oh, no, you're not. He says, oh, you come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. This day I will take your head and we will win and God will be victorious through us. He laughs. So if you grew up in church and you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you sang the little song about one little boy named David and one little stone he took and he put it in the sling and the sling went round and round and round and round and round and round and round. Maybe you've heard that. And he throws it and it, it lands. It lands right, right here, sinks into his forehead. Um, perfect throw because he's very accurate. Goliath falls to the ground, David takes a sword, lifts his head from his shoulders, and says, we have triumphed. Now, this is a story, if you dig down into the depths, we don't have time to go all the way into the depths of it, of image over substance. Goliath is what you're supposed to be as a man. And David is the substance of what a man actually is. And you have to understand this, you have to go back to David's beginning, because God picked David to be the leader of his people. And Samuel, and 1 Samuel records it this way. He says, the Lord does not look at the ma- things man looks at, that outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. The Lord looks at the heart. See, the approval trap is, is that I'm going to do what everybody sees, and I'll be rewarded by what everyone sees, and I'll be the perfect picture of a man. See, now, w- what happens if you're not that picture of that man? What if you're more artistic, and you're not, rather than being athletic? Are you not a man? What if you have some deformity that makes your body not work the way it's supposed to be, and so you, you're not defined and ripped as a guy? Or you just don't actually, are you not a man? What if you're a softer person, and you like books, and you like to read, and you don't like all that other stuff? Right, does that mean that you're not a man? Well, see, those are all image, things we paint onto people and say, no, a man does these certain things. No, no, that's not how God looks at people. That's not how God, God looks at the heart. And so what Paul says is, listen, Men want to be known for the things that people can see. Men want to be known for their wisdom and for their skill and for their insight. And and Paul says, if you go only for that, he calls it here in this passage, he calls it the things that are incomplete. And he says, when the thing that's complete comes, the incomplete goes away. And the, the, the complete thing that Paul is saying that we're to be as men is love. Because here's what happens. A complete man loves, an incomplete man tries to prove. Let me say that to you again. A complete man loves an incomplete man tries to prove. Well, how do, you, how do you become a complete man? I mean, that's the question, right? Uh, you, you read that. I hope you, again, if you don't have one, um, please get one next week. Get it online. Print it off till you get a, a, a hard one you can put on the, the mirror. But I hope you read that. 1 Corinthians 13, and men are patient, and men are kind, and men don't boast, and men are not irritable or resentful. I don't know about you, but when I read through that list, and I say, if that's the picture of a complete man, and I look at my own life, and I look at how I respond to things from time to time, I have to be honest and say, well, then I'm not a complete man. And so I've got bad news, and I've got good news about that. The bad news is that you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give love that you do not have. And, and if, you, if you're trying to earn the words that say, you're enough, you belong, you're well done, um, it will drive you right into the approval trap. Because see, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give something that you don't have. 
the good news, and I hope you know that the word gospel is translated good news, the good news is that no one is, in, is complete in themselves. You aren't, and you aren't, and you aren't, and you aren't, and I'm not. We can only give what we receive, nothing more, nothing less. I, I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but one of the ways that Jesus is referred to in the New Testament is Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. Now, maybe you know this, but Adam, the Hebrew word Adam, is just the generic word for man. They have the first Adam. The first Adam was a poser. The first Adam was about the outward appearance. The first Adam tried to prove that he was all okay, and he didn't get it right. And that's you and me. We're the first Adam. But then there's the second Adam that comes along, and he gets it right, and he's not a poser, and he actually has love. And he, this, I read that thing, and I said this is from an ancient source. That ancient source is actually the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, where Jesus is being baptized, and he hears a voice from heaven that says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, listen, men, this is, this is so key and so important. Jesus hears these words before he has healed anybody, before he has stood up for the little guy, before he has worked for justice for the poor and the oppressed, before he's laid his life down on a cross for the sins of mankind, before he's driven out any demons, before he's risen from the dead, before he's done anything to prove his value and worth, because that's how we think we got to do it as men. He hears the voice of his father say, you belong to me, I want you, you are absolutely enough. And you have to start that way too. You have to start in the same way that Jesus did. Because what, when Jesus came, he came and said, listen, before you've done anything, before you've proven yourself, you have to know you are my son, who I love. With you, I am well pleased. Because here's your two options, okay, men? You can either live from God's approval, or you can spend your life trying to earn someone else's approval. You can either live out of the blessing that God pronounces over you because of Jesus, or you can live to earn the blessing and finally hear the voice say, well done. So I want you to read the man code every day for the next six months. I want you to go, God, I need your help to be patient. I need, your, I need it too. But before you read it about you, I want you to read it about Jesus. And I want you to understand something. When you read that man code, I want you to say, okay, I'm starting first and I'm understanding, Jesus, that you were patient and you were kind with me. That you didn't envy, you didn't boast, you weren't arrogant or rude, you didn't insist on your own way, you weren't irritable or resentful, you didn't rejoice at my wrongdoing, you rejoiced with the truth. For me, Jesus, you bore all things, you believed all things, you hoped all things, you endured all things, including the cross. And so because of that, because of what you've done for me, then I belong to you. You want me. You're pleased with me. And then you live out of the blessing. You live out of the good word, right? You've, you've received it already. You don't have to go out into the world and try and find it. You already have it. It's already given to you. Now listen, I'm convinced of this to my toes. If you're going to be a real man, you're going to need Jesus. You're the first Adam, so am I. You need the second Adam. You need the man who got it right. You, you need the man who has love to give. And if you've never made the decision in your life to say, I'm going to be done with my attempts to earn, my, earn approval and earn my way in the world, and I'm going to be done with the things I've done that have pushed me away from people and God, and I'm going to ask for God's help to become the person he's always meant for me to be, and I'm going to give my life to following Jesus, and I'm going to make him the center of my life. If you've never done that, start today. Start today. Start this very moment. I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute, and if you've never asked Ask Jesus to guide and lead your life, then I would, I would 
ask you, I would beg you to start today letting him lead your life so you can become a real man. So would you, would you bow your heads with me and uh, if that helps you, and you can close your eyes just to kind of zero out everyone around you. I'll pray and you can just repeat these words to God in your own heart. And God hears these things if this will help you to begin that relationship. Dear God, I need to know that I'm your son. I need to know that you want me. I need to know that you approve of me. And I need your help. I need you to forgive me and lead me. And so today I'm starting my life with you. So guide me and show me the way to be a real man. In your name I pray this. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always leave you with a blessing, a good word over your life, so you leave knowing the blessing of God over you. And you'll see people around you, they hold out their hands. It's just their way of saying, I'd like to receive that. And if you'd like to receive that, man or woman, um, I would invite you to receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you that loved you when you were trying your hardest to earn it. That loved you when you were unlovable and loved you anyway. May you know that you're now sent to love that God, to love people in his name and to serve the world that he loves so much. Uh, Be blessed. See you next week. Hug somebody, tell them you love them.